if my child died, I would want to cry my eyes out. Um, I don't think I would. Sociopaths don't form normal emotional attachments to other people. They lack empathy. When they see a person suffering, they don't feel bad over it. I was in high school biology when evolutionary theory was really laid out for us. Species develop new characteristics, new traits, and then those can actually eventually take over. And so I concluded that maybe I had reached a higher stage of humanity where I wasn't held back by emotions the way other people were. And so I came to regard all these little rules that people tell you to follow as kind of brainwashing me. Breaking into places and you know breaking into the school or stealing things. I felt like I was stripping away these layers of rules that people had been imposing on me my entire life. And it was, a, it was an amazing feeling. And if I really wanted to, to sort of be free of everything I've been, I've been brainwashed into thinking about right and wrong, and I decided uh, to kill my dad. And I decided to do it in a brutal fashion, not a, not a gunshot or anything. I was going to do it with a hammer. When I walked up to my dad, I've got a, I had a hammer in my hand, and I hit him in the head seven or eight times with a ball beam hammer until I thought he was dead, and uh, I just left. One of his friends, Jim, found him, covered in blood, took him to a hospital, and so I went and told my mom, hey, I may have done this because I, I think I'm being told on at that moment. I mean, instead of taking me to... Uh, the police or anything, she took me to a psychiatric hospital. They made a report based on the, the time that I was there, and it said antisocial personality disorder. Eventually, Virginia had them remove me from the psychiatric hospital and take me to jail. Since my dad survived, I was convicted of malicious wounding. I was sentenced to 10 years in prison. There was a Christian named Randy, and he was a bit different from everyone else. And one day he was reading his Bible and I walked up to him and I said, hey, you know why you're reading your Bible? You're reading your Bible because you're born in the United States. If you'd been born in China, you'd be a Buddhist. If you'd been born in India, you'd be a Hindu. If you'd been born in Saudi Arabia, you'd be a Muslim because people like you believe whatever you're taught to believe. He started arguing with me and started tearing me to pieces. And that was very different from other Christians that I'd argued with in the past ended up in uh, for a couple of months a series of arguments with Randy about Christianity versus my worldview. Randy was winning the arguments that we would get into. I'm not going to beat him this way. I'm going to have to really learn the Bible so that I can respond to him. I regarded that as my weakness. I have to say I was impressed with Jesus. I went from thinking that I'm the best person in the world to thinking that I'm the worst person in the world. The question came up, either I'm stuck like this, or there's someone out there who can deal with this. Who, out of anyone, had the ability to change, radically change, severely messed up people? It's Jesus or it's nothing. It's Jesus or there is just no hope. I bowed down and I prayed and I said, God, I don't know if I'm going to believe in you tomorrow, 
but I believe in you right now. If you can do anything with me, you're welcome to it. And I ran through the sort of sinner's prayer that I'd heard um, there in the jail. When I sat up, uh, the whole world looked different. It looked like I was in a different place, like everything was a different color. And I didn't know if this was, you know, just something weird going on, but it was, uh, I didn't want to hurt anyone at that point. And uh, uh, an amazing calm. I felt like I'd been physically nonstop brawling all my life, and that I finally could just sit down and rest. While I was in prison, I thought it would be bad to actually confess because my dad, again, had no recollection. I'm a Christian now, I can't spend my entire life saying I haven't done something that I've done. I'm gonna write a letter to my dad right now and uh, lay everything out to him. He came to see me at the, at the, at the first chance and um, he said, it's okay. And uh, he forgives me and, and he told me, he said, he said, I really didn't think you did it. And so for him to hear all of that at once and then to forgive me, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's amazing stuff. Between jail and prison, I was locked up for a little over five years. I got out of uh, prison in 2000 and started college immediately. Started arguing with a young woman who was an agnostic and she eventually became a Christian and we were married the following year. We have kids and, you know, getting to watch them grow up and given the things I've done, I should not be able to have this sort of, this sort of normal life. It, uh, it, it kind of blows me away. I want people out there to know that there is a creator to this world, that there is a, a point to this world, that other people um, are important, that it's not just all about you. Jesus rose from the dead, and that shows that there is a point to everything, that there is a creator, that he does care about us, and that he entered this world to die for us. And that is a message that matters because it changes everything. Powerful, isn't it? You know, every time I finish <laughs> preaching, I always begin to pray, God, show me what to preach next, you know. Sometimes it's months before Doug Ladd again. Maybe that's a hint. <laughs> I'm saying. And uh, so I knew a long time ago I was going to preach on this. And uh, about testimony, your testimony. The title of the message I, I titled is By the Word of Your Testimony. And it comes from a phrase or a, in the Bible from Revelation. In the book of Revelation, it's written because is um, on the Isle of Patmos. He's been exiled there. And God gives him the vision of, of the future. And he sees all these things happening. And in chapter 12, he sees one of the final days of Satan. The Bible says that he is cast out from heaven. It's, oh, we understand that Satan actually has authority to go before God. That's why he went up there and accused Job. He went to God's throne. He has that authority to go. But, but at this time in the future, he's going to be cast down, he's, and he's not, no longer going to be allowed to leave the earth. 
And, uh, and he's going to persecute God's people to the nth degree. And at this time, uh, John writes these words in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, about these saints that are there. And it says, and they overcame him. That's, that's the devil, Satan, the great dragon. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto the end. So, you know, everybody has a testimony, whether good or bad. You might not like your testimony, kind of like some of your family, but that's what you have. Now, what's different is that unlike your family, you can change your testimony. You can do something about that. And that's my challenge to you today and to me. Now, this verse here, of course, is talking about a future prophecy, but later on I want to bring a practical application out of this verse. But first we have to look at the word testimony, okay? The word here in this verse, testimony. Now, the word, our word behind testimony, because this is from a Greek word, testimony translated, is our word martyr. That's where we get the word martyr from is this word here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It's found in a lot of other places in the Bible too, this word. The word martyr. Now, it's easy to see why, um, you know, uh, a, a person who testifies that, you know, this word martyr is a good word for that because a martyr is the greatest testimony someone can give for what they believe, right? They give their life. Man, I can barely give God an hour a day. I can't imagine giving God my life, you know, giving up my life. You know, just to try to read the Bible or do something like that, spend some time in prayer. But that's how strong this word testimony is. And my wife might remember back in the day, back when I was 18 years old, which is 32 years ago, um, sitting in church, and, and um, we talked about before, he's talking about the first service, you know, you don't always remember. You get fed every week, hopefully, but you don't always remember every sermon, but sometimes there's those things that stand out. And one of them stood out to me 32 years ago. I remember a, um, a story that the pastor, preacher was speaking on, talking about martyrs, and talked about a man who was in England who was burned at the stake. And in the midst of the flames, he clapped his hands three times above his head and, and gave out a loud, joyous call before he was consumed. And, you know, there's, um, and there's a lot of stories of, of those martyrs. Matter of fact, there's, there's a book that this guy wrote back in the 1600s or so, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And Doug, we talked about this before. It's a good book. I, I've only... I've only read parts of it because it's so hard to read, to, to read all these accounts of, of these people. And I, and I wanted to bring it as a show and tell kind of a deal, you know, for church. But um, so I was looking through it last night and man, you know how God is. And then I ran across Thomas Hawks, the man I heard about 32 years ago. Died, died June 10th, 1555, page 227. Real people. Now, how real am I to the Lord? You know, how, how, how much 
Am I really dedicated? How much is my testimony for the Lord? Not what it ought to be. So to look at really understand testimony before we kind of get into practical application, we have to actually look at the word itself. Okay. Now, in my days of going to school, you know, I acquired a lot of different books that like they're, they're good for like, I don't know, my wife has all kinds of reasons. They're good for like propping up things. They're good for evening out couches, things like that. That's kind of what she thinks of the books. I, I think they're a very nice dust collector. There's a very nice film of dust on most of my books, you know, because they're just used every once in a while. One of those books is, is a book on, for translators on how to bridge the gap from one language to another because, you know, these translators go in these countries and they have these languages are kind of different than Greek, which is what the New Testament is, is in. And so they, they wrote this book on how to, you know, what this word, particular word means so you can make sure when you bridge the gap into this new language, you bring the full meaning as best you can across. So that's where these definitions come from. So they're very precise. The first one uh, is this idea of these two major ideas that I want to emphasize, okay? Which is the word used for testimony. There's two of them. And it's kind of funny that um, we as Christians kind of have the same idea of testimony. We use it the same way. The first is witness. Witness is... So that word testimony means to provide information about a person or an event concerning which the speaker has direct knowledge. Witness. So, you know, the the most basic witness that we have for Christ is um, how we came to know him in a personal sense, right? How we met him face to face. Now, we don't have that, you know, testimony kind of like David would that we saw. You know, David Wood was an atheist. We don't, we don't have, most of us weren't bank robbers and counterfeit money makers, whatever they're called. Um, you know, most of us are not uh, ex-gang members or, you know, stuff like that. We're just ordinary people. But see, it's not about you having this great story to tell. I remember back when I was in Bible college and stuff, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my testimony, a little bit something different than I've been told before or told you before. But um, I, d- I didn't have that grand testimony. And, and I was like, man, you have such a cool testimony. He's telling this guy. And he, he looked at me. He's like, man, you're, you're an idiot. And I was like, what, what do you mean I'm an idiot? He said, man, there's nothing cool about me being in drugs and the family members that I hurt and the people that I, the lives I messed up and the things that I did and the, and the memories and the haunts that I have, there's nothing cool about that. And I realized, wow, you know, I never thought of it like that. Because it's not about what, showing off what I did or what I was. It's about Jesus Christ and what he did for me. And maybe, you, like you say, you don't have this great grand thing, but that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for just someone who's willing so my testimony, a little bit of my testimony. Um, when I was around 10, I wasn't very bright because I didn't know how to read the TV guide. You know, when you look up stuff that comes on a TV guide, back in the day, we had what's a little book that they mailed to you, some of you. Once a month, we got a book in the mail. 
and you open it, or you go to the store and you open it up and it had all the shows and it had the five channels that you might have gotten or might not have, right? And you went through there and you find, well, I wasn't bright enough to do that at 10. So on the weekend when the cartoons came on, I had to get up really early to make sure that I, I, because I didn't know what it came on. I sure couldn't read the Roman numeral clock that my mom and dad had up there. I didn't know what was what. So I just would try to wake up as early as I could and head out there in the morning and sit there. Now, what you do is, of course, we didn't have the remote controls, right? We only had the little switch. Okay. You had to walk up there. So every 30 minutes, I would go through all the channels and see what was on. And then I find one and I watch it for 30 minutes. And then 30 minutes later, when, the, you know, when that one was, I'd, I'd go back up there and I'd just flip it through the channel, flip through the channel. So I found, you know, some, all the commercials went through and then show came out. Okay, fine. So some of the shows, you know, I'd, I'd stay up and, and try to find some of these. Remember this, like, Hong Kong Fooey? Remember Hong Kong Fooey? Yeah, it's like some of you are old. Some of you are old. Hong Kong Fooey. Number one super guy. Right? Remember that? That one was, remember, now some of you who know what this is? Huh? That's, that was the original Ghostbusters. That was the Ghostbusters show. Two guys and a guy in an ape suit. Walking around catching ghosts with their camera. That's what it was. I stayed, I got up early morning for that. Now this last one here, this is, this is one, Ultraman. Ultraman led me to Lord. <laughs> No joke. See, because Ultraman came on on Sunday, early in the morning. So I would get up probably about 3 o'clock because I didn't know what time it was when it came on. And I was to sit there in front of that TV. And I'd go through the channels and watch until it came on. And then this came up, this lady had a flannel graph about Jesus, the apostles. God planted that seed at 10 years old. So then later on in life, <laughs> later on in life, the next year when I was 11, my brother gave me a track called a chick track. How do you know what a chick track is? Okay, very few. Chick track is like a comic book. It's a gospel comic book. Not so big. Got a lot of them. Some of them are, yeah. but he gave it to me because, again, my father was an atheist and I wasn't allowed to go to church and my brother wasn't allowed to really tell me anything. He was a Christian. So my brother gave me the track and I read that track. Summer of 1977. And I read that track and I read that track and I, and I got to the end. And what got me is these last two pages is the first page, this next page was this boy that he had Come to find out this guy had told him all that stuff about Christianity. It's, it's foolish. It's stupid. Don't worry. That's all nonsense. And they end up getting a car accident. A train hits him in the story. And this is where the boy wakes up. And he turns to him and he says, hey, friend, remember all those things that you told me? You were wrong. You goofed. And then the next page, he says, no, you were wrong. He takes off his mask and it's this devil. He said, you didn't accept Jesus Christ as your savior. And man, that hit me at 12 years or 11 years old. 
And I read that track, and I read that track, and I read that track. And at 11 years old, I gave my life to the Lord. Wasn't allowed to go to church, do nothing like that. I had my brother snuck me a Bible. And uh, for six years until I actually graduated from high school, I was, I was able to go to church. <clears throat> and and I, the Lord was just so precious to me as a teenager. You know, I tried to witness the school, tried to take my Bible to school with me. I prayed in front of my friends at the, at the lunch table. That was my witness. Didn't get into drugs, didn't do nothing, didn't smoke, didn't drink, didn't do nothing. God saved me from that. You see? Was pure all through high school. See, so you, you, you have a testimony. It's a powerful tool. How is it? What kind of shape is it in? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord tells his disciples, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. And that word witness there, that's our word. That's the, from the same root, testimony, martyr. Supposed to be a witness for the Lord. So that's one side or aspect of the word testimony. The other one here is reputation. Reputation is that which is said about a person on the basis of an evaluation of the person's conduct. That's how you live. That's how I live. Now, I can say all day and I'm a Christian, I can do all these things, but what is my reputation? What is it people know about me? That's my testimony. Paul tells in Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he gives qualifications for a pastor. And one of the things he says, he says the pastor must be of, and different translations have, one has a good, of a good report, one has of a good testimony, the NIV has of a good reputation. That's our word. Testimony. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, when the writer's talking about Enoch, who was back in the Old Testament, he was one of the only people that was raptured. He was taken before death. God, the Bible says, translated him, changed his body into a glorified body, and took him to heaven. And it says that he had this testimony that he pleased God. It's our reputation. How do people know us? I'll tell you what, when, when, when you walk through a door, when I walk inside of a room, people all, automatically have an idea about who I am. No matter what I've said, no matter how much I say I'm a Christian, right? Now, these little sayings here, most of you know them. Actions speak louder than words. Jesus told the, the group there in Luke chapter 6, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not the things that I say? I mean, you, you say that you follow me, you say that I'm your Lord, but why don't you do what I ask you to do? Actions speak louder than words. How about this one? Practice. You did better than Doug did this morning, yes. It's not practice makes perfect. 
practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. Man, I've heard that a lot. And I usually say, you don't have a preaching license, I do. So no preaching at me. I'm the one allowed to be preaching. Don't be preaching that I ain't preaching what I should be preaching. Practice what you preach. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said this, wherefore, whatever they tell you to observe. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples that, hey, I know the leadership, the scribes, Pharisees, they're in that place of leadership that was established by the Old Testament. He says, I understand that. And I tell you to observe and what they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But, he tells them, but do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. They don't practice what they preached. Third one, you ever heard it? Remember this one? Talk. Talk is cheap. All right? Travis said talk sometimes costs you a lot. Sometimes talk costs you the couch. Right? The doghouse. But talk is cheap. Matthew chapter 15 says those, those people drew near. These people, Jesus said, drew near to me with their, with their mouth and honor me, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Talk is cheap. Now, all these three groups that we looked at that Jesus was speaking about, you know, all these people are the people that Jesus called them hypocrites. These are the people that Jesus said, man, you guys are just, you're hypocrites. You say one thing and you live another. You, you're, what you really do is not what you say. And how many of us are in that boat? How many, how many of us that, you know, were not a good reputation as a Christian? So that's why I want to look back at this verse. And I want to get some practical application. That verse that's on top of your bulletin. When they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Let's look at this. Now, your testimony has these four things. Your testimony is the power to overcome the works of our, of our adversary. Where it says there, they overcame him. That's the devil by the, by the uh, blood of the lamb, by the word of the testimony. The only way, it's one of the ways, I should say, to overcome Satan is by your testimony. Inviting the people to church is, is not going to win them. You have to be a testimony. You have to be a witness. You have to have a good reputation before them. You got a troubled marriage? You got prodigal children? Lost loved ones? Friends? Coworkers? The power to reach them is in your testimony. You know? To break the bonds that Satan has. I mean, that's where it starts, is living before him. You know, sometimes that when the devil puts ideas or thoughts in my mind and begins to work on me, the thing that comes to my heart is, man, what did that do to my testimony? Sometimes I think, man, if people knew what I was thinking right now, I, man, and, and, and it helps me fight that and say, man, Satan, God help me clear my mind. It's a power. It's, a, it's to overcome. The second is it requires salvation. It requires a salvation experience. There in that verse it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. I'll tell you what, if the blood of the lamb has not been applied to you, 
then uh, it's not a Christian testimony that you have. You have a testimony of something else. You have to have had that face-to-face meeting with Jesus. Have you? You know, Judas was a church goer. He attended all the services. He just wasn't a Christ follower. Required salvation. Third is expressed in, in speaking the gospel and living the gospel. Now that verse there, it says, and they, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, when John talked about himself in the same book, chapter one, verse nine, he says this, I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. So those two things, he separated them when he talked about himself. But when he came to these saints, he put it together. And I think it's, it's emphasizing that we need to not just speak the gospel, but we got to live the gospel. Okay? So, you know, I go to work. You know, me and Zermino, where yeah, Zermino? There he is right there, man, right in front of me. You know, me and him, we try to do, try to, try to be Christians there. You know, people know I don't cuss. They know I'm different that way. But do they know I'm a Christian? People know I'm, I try to work hard and do certain things. But do they know I'm bought by the blood of the Lamb? See, if I don't speak up, it, it, what good does the good works and the, and the good reputation I have unless I say something? You know, so you, you can be wherever you are, but, you know, if you don't speak up for Christ, it's really for nothing. You've got to speak up for the Lord. You have to do both. And the last one is it has a sacrifice. You know, your testimony has a sacrifice in order to be effective. You know, sometimes to have a good testimony, you know what? You might have to back away from some friends. Might not be able to hang out. I'm sorry, I have, I have a heart for young people, but you might be able to hang out at that lunch table with some of those kids. Might not be able to stay with that girl. I'm not saying that you're better than them. But for your testimony, you might not be able to run with some of them. You might not be able to um, go certain places, do certain things, maybe watch certain TV shows. You know? Might have to give up something to have a good testimony. This guy here. Nabil Qureshi. Nabil Qureshi, born 1983, was a Muslim apologist. He debated, you know, the Muslim religion for it. At the age of five, he read all the way through the Quran and memorized many chapters. At five years old, he could quote it from memory. Went to college uh, because he was an apologist and he, you know, stood up for the Muslim religion. He went into the debate club in his college. And in his college, you know, they, they went on some trips. And on one of the trips, he got room with this guy. 
And this guy was different than other people who said they were Christians. This guy actually read his Bible on his leisure time. And while they're in his room and he actually um, got done praying, he had his rug and did his praying that he's supposed to do as the Muslim religion requires certain times a day. And when he got done, he looked over there and here's this guy sitting there reading the Bible. And he began to challenge him. You know, that, that book's got mistakes. You know, this book is that. I mean, he just began to just tear into this guy. And this guy said, oh, really? And this guy began to talk to him. And he said, you know, this guy was different than other Christians. And again, he began to say things and he began to make sense. And for three years, they debated while they were in college. They would, always, they would get together and he would say, hey, well, how about this and how about that? And this guy would come back and say, well, look at this, look at this, look at this. And for three years, he struggled and he struggled. And finally, he came when he was by himself in his room, he came to, to the realization that the Bible was right. And he trusted the Lord, became a Christian, and ended up writing three books um, for the Christian uh, to, to reach Muslims for Christ. He wrote three books. He died last September. September 16th, 2017, at the age of 34. But you know who led him to the Lord? David Wood in college. David Wood was the guy that was there, the guy who was the atheist that got saved in jail. And who led David Wood? Just a prisoner named Randy, who probably messed up his life, got in some trouble, and decided that he was going to live for God and change his ways. And he made a difference. See, we just don't understand the power of our testimony. The power of not just to speak up for the Lord, but to live for him and to be that light. You don't realize who you could reach and who you're not reaching. God help us to really be sold out for the Lord. And to seek a good testimony. Amen. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, again, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this time to come and preach. And Lord, I pray you help me to be conscious of my testimony, the way I conduct myself, how I talk, and the way I act, and what I do. And Lord, that I might please you and I might be a light, Lord, in this dark world. I pray you bless. Um, all those that are here, Lord, I know they struggle many different things, many trials, and Satan is, is fighting them on every hand, Lord. Give them rest, and Lord, I pray help those that maybe they don't know Christ. They, know, they don't have that personal witness, a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Jesus. Lord, I pray that today be that day for them. I ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.